Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome, rugby fans, to another great episode of the Rugby Rant Podcast Show. My name is Ty Braga, your host for today's activities alongside Rob, the Hammer Hammerschmidt, Scott, the big guy Ferrari himself. And joining us on this occasion, we have two guest ranters, and we welcome Karen Gasparino and David Barry. Karen, welcome to the show. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Excellent. Well, you've been a long-time fan of the show as well, so it was about time we brought you on board. And uh, talking about fans, we move over to uh, to David Barry, who's not only a fan, uh, you're an instrumental force in rugby, of course, being so uh, heavily linked to now recently the Free Jacks being a part owner of that MLR side, but your roots boo. go deeper than that, <laughs> says the New Yorker boo, right? Uh, you're also obviously the owner of the Rambling Jesters, who are the reigning champs of the rugby be town sevens so uh welcome to the show my friend excellent thank you joining you from london um uh, a long way away about three in the morning so uh, <laughs> are you drinking tea or coffee that's what i want to know tea tea is the uh is the required beverage over here at the moment what the british empire was built on right <laughs> exactly <laughs> now you're speaking thai's language <laughs> right so here we are once again in this rugby debate show to be able to debate the topics at hand that have been chosen by you as the MLR fan to tell us what you think. We put it to a poll on the MLR fan zone group and you decided what was most important to you was to learn more about the top challenges that face the MLR in the 2021 season. And then second to that is what if COVID strikes again? What are the, how do they implement a bubble if that be the way forward? So we have assembled our team here today and we have got two additional ranters to be able to battle it out for top honors and win absolutely nothing. So <laughs> this is really just for the honors and the bragging rights. And each one of them has two minutes to be able to rant on the topics. And should they go over the two minutes, we'll receive what we like to be able to call, thanks to TJ Olson, as the cheese. Where is it there? The cheese. The cheese. That's the yellow car for going over your allotted time. And should you do so on several occasions, you will get the red. And that means you'll be out for the next round and you'll remain silent, losing your opportunity to be able to participate in severe hampering your chance of winning this rugby debate so with the rules understood and me as the referee are we ready let's go let's do now, it i hadn't actually debated who would go first so what i'm actually going to do is i'm going to hand it over to the most vocal of them all that is mr new york the big guy himself let's hand the floor over to scott ferrari or two minutes start now talking about the challenges for 2021 with the mlr well Let's get hot, everybody. So I think <laughs> I the thing is. I didn't know he was going to say that. And what? so it starts, ladies and gentlemen. And so it starts. And correct my time, sir. time. He's just mad. He, I'm getting hot like Nola. <laughs> Real hot, nice and humid. Um, so anyway, I think the, the challenges that MLR faced in 2021, besides the obvious COVID stuff, um, is actually some of these stadiums. We still have teams that have stadiums that aren't suited necessarily for rugby. Because of COVID, I don't think they've had um, enough time to maybe assess different places to play. Um, and, and that's not good. It's not a good look, We're, especially if we get run into maybe one of these, um, these, these situations where maybe the commissioner says, hey, no fans can play, uh, can watch, you know, on the East Coast because of COVID numbers. Now everybody has to watch uh, uh, via t- television, CBS, uh, Fox Sports, uh, Fox 2 Sports, ESPN Plus. And now every stadium looks empty and stadiums, particularly like MCU park look more empty than others because of the fact that it is a, you know, 12,000 person stadium. That's that, that, that's empty. Um, the way the cameras are set up is, is right across from pretty much all of the, the first baseline, which is all of the seats. And again, it's just not a visual look. So if I was a new fan going to watch this, what, what am I thinking? Like, Oh man, nobody even shows up to watch. 
Like, and when they do, they can't even fill the stands on, on a ticket that's probably not as expensive as, let's say, going to see the Jets or the Giants, you know, especially in the NFL. So I think the biggest complication is is teams finding the right place to play. We already have teams like NOLA who's, who found a good place to play, obviously San Diego, Toronto. Um, I'm sure I'm missing, you know, plenty of people, uh, Sabercats. Uh, but I think there's teams that need to find that correct space they need to one, make it look good and two sell out, have a, have a sellout crowd. Okay. So interesting points. In fact, I was just going to call you up for coming close to your two minutes that you wrapped it up there. And what you had spoken about. First time ever. First time ever. Right. But actually second time in a row. (laughs) Second time in a row. Right. So, okay, let's break it down again. So you, you, to sum it up, you said that Teams might not necessarily have the uh, uh, the right venue um, given the conditions, um, and and why that is relevant is recently on the back of the MLR announcing that they plan to be able to start the league in March, which has changed the calendar and has pushed it back a further month. Whereas normally they would expect to be able to assemble their teams in January, or sorry, the original plan was that it would assemble in January for a start in February. Now that's been changed for obvious reasons uh, and the uncertainty that is the current pandemic uh, conditions. So, yeah, I think that those are relevant. Um, you spoke about the TV optics, uh, not a great particular brand to be able to look at empty stadiums. However, to that point, I mean, isn't that kind of par for the course when you look at sports around the world, how they've had to come out of this? Uh, what is your response for that, Scott? Well, I, I think my my comment about the empty stadiums was more of empty looking stadiums with with fans there. Um, so again, Rooney is, was averaging like 1500 to 2000 people a home match, but in a seven, eight, 12,000 seat arena, that's like a little, you know, splash in the pond there. Um, and, right. uh, and also again, you know, MCU park, obviously I, I'm going to talk about it. Their, um, um, class a baseball, if class a baseball comes back for their season, Rooney's now playing in the middle of it versus where usually when they start in February matches, the last couple matches in May is where they intertwine and it, it only interrupts maybe one or two baseball games where now you're talking about going through their whole single a season. If they come back with single a baseball, what happens? Right. And I assume that's kind of what you were leading to, but I'm glad that you could elaborate it on a little, uh, a little bit more there um, with the advantage play that I gave you. (laughs) So (laughs) let's hand it over to Rob to hear what he's got to be able to share. First of all, not including my two minutes. I just wanted to laugh at people actually show up to jets and giants games. (laughs) <laughs> okay uh now i'm gonna get serious the guy here. who's never won a division in like 10 years but okay you know we're we're working on it we're rebuilding rebuilding with mitch um first of all i'd like to say i think uh, there are a couple of important challenges but the f- biggest one for me is scheduling and and i'm sure they're going to figure out how to work this out but I, i'm trying to think about it in terms of numbers so right remember there's non-balance in the conferences you have seven in one conference and six in the east um so seven in the west six in the east so during 2020, it was easy when you had you had uh, six and six because you'd play you know a home and away against uh, your conference opponents to make your 12 match or to make your uh, sorry five ten matches total because you'd play your five conference teams and then you'd play the six non-conference teams for a total of 16. Well, this season they're still going to have 16. They're still going to have an 18 week season, so you're going to have two bye weeks. The question is how you're going to divide up your schedule because you know the West. In order to play every team home and away, you're going to have to play 12, 12 games. Uh, the East will play 10 because there's, again, only five teams that you're going to play against there. So that's imbalanced. And then you can't really play all the other teams in the other conference, right? Because if you play all the other teams for the West, they're going to be looking at 18 matches to play each of the other teams in the East. Uh, and the um, East is going to be looking at playing uh, 17 matches, you know, uh, if you play every every team in the West. So Somehow you're gonna sh- they're gonna have to short, um, you know, two teams in the East when they're playing cross conference with the West, and it's gonna be a bit of a problem. And you know, does this give an advantage for one conference over the other when you're talking about points on the table and qualifying for the playoffs? And we know now that the playoff system and structure is gonna be, you know, basically four teams make the playoffs, two from each conference. And I think that's a bit of a problem. One thing to keep your eye on is getting players in country, especially from Australia, because we know Australia uh, is quite expensive for just to leave the country, even for nationals. So those are two concerns in my book. Right. So again, let's recap. Scheduling is obviously an issue. This is also, you could say in some part, why uh, it was so attractive 
when the prospect of, of a team from Hawaii could be included because it would show yeah. even balance. Uh, obviously, uh, Raptors leaving a bit of a vacuum there. So, yes, it is an unbalanced system. Great merit there. You know, I like that you, you, you took a greater look at how many games – the imbalance there. And we could probably dig into that for another 10 minutes just alone on that because there is a lot of uncertainty around that. Uh, and an interesting question, we don't have the answer for it, but could that present an opportunity for somebody to gain uh, um, a little bit more of an advantage? So I do like that. Um, I think one of the most notable things is if the current COVID conditions do persist into next year, yes, travel is going to be an issue. Uh, visas and everything associated to it. So absolutely uh, key points to be able to bring up there. So really uh, two solid points there for Rob. Let's move it over to Karen to be able to share what she has uh, in mind. Okay, I'm going to take off from something that Scott said. <clears throat> um, he was talking about the the stadiums and having to separate the fans in order to be able to fill the stadiums without filling the stadiums because we can't fill the stadiums. So um, my focus is going to kind of be about the revenue streams. Um, and I'm talking about everything. I'm talking about the beer tents and the ticket sales, but also the merchandise sales and all of the different uh, people that all of that affects. So not just the teams, not just the players and the ownership and, and all of that, but everybody from the, the beer tents to the merchandise and, 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 and everything. But Really, how much will that impact the teams? I mean, they lost the revenue, uh, especially if you look at Toronto. They lost all their revenue for this year. Um, they kind of had the, the that kind of expensive trip into Vegas. And as much as it was wonderful, and I was so grateful to, to be there and actually see Toronto play in 2020, um, that wasn't a cheap thing, but it was going to be offset by their season at home. And they never got that. So if they go into 2021 and they're just as limited uh, in terms of how many bums they can put in seats, how is that going to impact them? And and that goes across the entire, you know, still fairly fledgling uh, league here. So, you know, the importance is that it makes money. And if it's losing money, how's that going to impact down the road? And that's a concern. Right. Awesome point. So for those of you that are not familiar, unfortunately, uh, you know, New York and Toronto didn't get any home games in New England any season. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sorry. Yes. So three before. So and uh yeah, I mean, so yes, they're relevant challenges. And yes, is that a burden on the back that you already had? what is widely considered to be a bit of a flop when it comes to the Vegas weekend. I mean, no matter where you sit on the side of the argument, it was an expense. And that's a reality that I think is somewhere close to about a $300,000 expense uh, being conservative is what has been reported on. So yeah, you want to try and avoid some of the pitfalls that have existed. And there are lessons from this time that you can carry forward with you. Um, and that ripple effect can be far and wide reaching, as you so rightly pointed out, Karen. So yeah, I mean, it, it's relevant, but I wonder, you know, if you're looking at the feasibility model, which you have to assume that they've looked at several, you know, where's the break even? What, what's the goal? What, what sacrifices are you willing to be able to make and how much of a hit can you take? So, you know, that's, that's really where you need to be able to see, well, how much burden can we carry? And really, we, none of us are in the position to be able to answer this, and nor do I think that this will be revealed. But there are definite, definite risks that will continue from this season into that season because they'll be carrying such an incredible loss from the season into the next. So, yeah, many, many points there. Uh, and we can circle back around to those in a moment, but I'm pretty sure the next man to be able to add to this conversation has some great value to be able to contribute. So let's hand it over to, uh, to David. The floor is yours. Okay, thank you. Um, well, let me say that from as part of the ownership group of an MLR team that the biggest challenge or the three biggest challenges are revenue, revenue, revenue. So Karen's got it absolutely correct. So rather than me just repeat, let me deliver an, an additional challenge. And I think competitive equity is going to be really important. I think this league and each of the clubs only survives if the whole league survives. And therefore, we've got to have a situation where we can't have someone run away with it. Uh, Scott may want Rooney to dominate the league, but it's not going to be great for anybody. And we've got to build a really competitive, interesting league. I think George Killebrew said, if everyone went eight and eight, that would be awesome. Mm -hmm. And the second part of that is making sure 
that we create real opportunity for American players to come. If you if you've got your ten overseas players and they're playing, uh, you know, seventy five minutes, that's not going to be a great look for the league. So actually seeing and uh, each of the teams um, develop that American talent and put out that 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 squad that gives the competitive equity is going to be crucial. I think. Um, after that, you know, I'm I'm not concerned about the the stadium at the moment. We have the excuse of COVID for rattling around stadiums. It's a bigger problem when COVID's gone, uh, and you know, picking a stadium that's going to be fit for a a three thousand to five thousand um, capacity um, crowd is going to be, I think, sensible. I, I worry about teams who might be rattling around a huge stadium um, because it's all going to be about fan experience. Fan experience is going to build the revenue profile and it's going to eventually lead to real interest from TV that will pay for our, our product. Right. So revenue, revenue, revenue. Yes, that is one that is definitely an important point. And as you so rightly pointed out, you know, you need to put bums in seats, right? It needs to be good for the optics. It needs to be a good product to be able to share on field and also a packaged product to be able to sell for broadcasting. So all of these are so heavily intertwined. You know, if we look back at 2020, it doesn't really offer a true reflection when it comes to looking at attendances, although it was trending higher than the year previous, uh, perhaps the most well-rounded view of attendance records has to be 2019. And with an attendance record of just under 160,000 across all games, 75 uh, uh, appearances, that meant that there was probably a little over 2,100 people per game. So if you are looking at a venue that is somewhere between three to 5,000, you'd be looking at a venue that is less than halfway full, but yet you still want to be able to have the, the opportunity to be able to grow into that. So it's manageable. So I agree with you there. And the criticism about stadiums being far too large and the optics far too poor as a result, you know, you could think of examples of the Coliseum that's proposed venue for, for, for uh, the Giltini, oh, right? Should they still possess that name? And in addition to that, in, in um, is a Globe Park for the uh, Dallas organization as well. I think is forty eight thousand. So these are points of criticism. I definitely recognize that. Uh, and as you pointed out, uh, David, the the idea of of, of having. If, if it were still COVID implications and it was the ruling that we could have no fans, it would be a moot point. But if we have the ability and there are none of those restrictions and we still don't have fans there, we have a problem. You know, here's the interesting thing. I, um, I, I First of all, with regard to stadium, like in talking with Karen, you know, um, just through the fan zone and and talking with Doug Wookley, who we've had on previous shows, What's interesting about Toronto is is when they did their television broadcasting, they broadcasted from the opposite side of where the fans were sitting. Sure. And so it, as somebody who's never been there, um, it looked to me like they were at full capacity for that stadium, right? So they did a really nice job at showing that. So when I inquired about potentially, hey, Karen, what's this going to look like if they have to limit the fan stadium? She says to me, she goes, well, it's not a problem because we can open up the whole other side of the section, space people out, and still be able to get most of those folks in the stadium, and it should still look pretty good. Right, so I- and with a venue that is at about 50% capacity, sure, I understand that. You know, that that's, that's, I suppose, is the silver lining in that regard, which is a fair point. If you are under those conditions and you do have those restrictions, maybe those venues are actually put to better use, and they're in the perfect situation to be able to work within those confines. So, yeah, good point there, uh, uh, Rob. Now, did anybody else want to be able to touch on any of the topics that were brought up by your peers on screen? Yeah. Can I add something to what Rob said? Yeah, sure. Go ahead, Karen. The floor is yours. I was just going to add to what you said. It it would be great to be able to do that at Lamport, open the the Western stand and, and spread all those people out. But the further challenge is that we've just lived through a global pandemic. And some people will be very hesitant still to to go out, and some people might not want to, you know, honor their their season ticket, whatever, or or just go and buy tickets and go out for the day. So we're still, even though things might open up and we might get a green light, um, there still may be challenges, and and I just worry about 
the challenges across the board, especially in harder hit cities. Right. So, I mean, I definitely agree with you there. Just because you're able to go to a game doesn't mean you're going to. Right. And that is a realistic point. I mean, the culture around us has changed and so have our lifestyles, you know, and this is going to be a part of it. Not everybody's going to want to be first in line for anything. Right. So, yeah, that's a relevant point. So realistically, I mean, if you're looking at an attendance in the best times, which is 2019 being an average of a little over 2100 per a game. Now, obviously, some had greater attendance, uh, Seattle, San Diego, you know, the list can continue. Uh, but overall, if you had to uh, cross the league, 2,100. So could you expect only 50% of that? Should you be planning for 50% of what you were getting? In other words, a 25% occupancy at your venue? And if that is a feasible plan and you can accept those risks with it, then okay. But I wonder if that has been thought about. So I'm actually going to hand it over to David in that regard can you elaborate on that thought? I mean, is that something that's been discussed in circles that you, at least you've been talking with? Yeah, I mean, I think um, there are going to be some capacity issues this year. I can't see that even being cleared up by by March when we when we kick off again. But I think depending on the facilities you're playing in, I think there will be some opportunity to create pods and groups of fans, uh, you know, um, whether those be, it would be six if it was the UK, but whether it could be groups of 12 or 15 or so on, spread around the stadium and actually create a bit of atmosphere within a group themselves. I think the whole thing is not just about the product on the field. It's about the product inside the venue. And that's Mm -hmm. what's going to bring fans. It's a complete experience. And you want someone who's come, wow, that was awesome fun, and I'm coming back. And to do that in COVID is going to be difficult. So I see if we can get to the point where we can have groups of fans who are socially distanced from each other as a group, but actually has that collective sprinkled around the stadium in pods, as it were, that still is going to give us that party atmosphere and that fun to be had, if possible. And it might be families if if restrictions are at that level. But it's going to be good fun if you can see on, on, on TV as we're watching it, a family group together or a friend group together. That's going to be key. If it's just one person every fourth or fifth seat, that's going to be pretty hollow. But at the same time, I think the fans and the people watching are going to forgive us during this COVID period. It's when we come out of COVID, we've got to bring that fan base in. And that's going to be the key factor, it, David. And isn't that one of the one of the interesting nuances and challenges here is that just with the league space styles as it is, in terms of you know West Coast, East Coast, South Coast, and then of course Toronto, that um, the, the the conditions, the you know as far as government you know restrictions are so different and vast. I mean, you know, you could have a very realistic like atmosphere in NOLA just because Louisiana is not too interested as a, you know, politically in social distancing. But, you know, Scott will tell you that Rooney's a very different and New York is a very different element. I'm sure Karen's same experience in Toronto. Definitely. Uh, I imagine it's quite varied the way they'll deal with it across the country. And um, as I say, in the UK, you'd be limited to six people in a group together. Um, That's the current state of the law. I'm not quite sure what it is in California or, or, or indeed New York. Um, there are going to be different challenges. Our problem is it's going to be at best a transition year. So we'll hopefully put a really good rugby product on the field. And we have to do a lot of work around that to make people understand, well, this is a little bit of a preamble to what's really to come because we're going to pack these stadiums in and we're going to create the best party in each of these cities that everybody's going to want to come to. Not just the dyed in the wool rugby guy, you know, you're always going to win those guys. They're going to come along. Um, but we have to bring in the general population to make this league work and make it really interesting. Right. You know, and I have you so rightly pointed out is that fans are forgiving this time around and of all sports, right? I mean, we understand it's a very difficult scenario, but when we come out of that, you know, are we prepared to be able to see uh, 60, 70, 80% occupancy at these stadiums? And ideally, you know, like with many of them who are achieving 100%, if they can consistently do so moving forward with the new thoughts and the new climate that we're in. So, yeah, those are good points. Scott, I see you wanted to jump in. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No problem. Um, I have three quick hits. The first thing is I kind of want to defend the Coliseum. I don't, I think if you're an LA fan or if you're a sports fan in general, 
if you see rugby being played in the Coliseum, you understand the capacity the Coliseum is. You understand what the Coliseum is versus if you saw MCU Park, which is a single-A baseball field. You know what I mean? I mean, the, Col- the LA Coliseum is the LA Coliseum. You're talking about Olympics. You're talking about USC football. Right. So I think you can kind of forgive that optic for the Giltinis when they're playing there. You're saying there's a different um, expectation. Correct. Correct. Yeah. And uh, number two was uh, we're, we're assuming – that we can cross the border here to get to Toronto and Toronto to come here. So I think the question is, and maybe we got to have Bill Webb come on for a five minute segment, just run one run pass or kick question to Bill Webb. (laughs) Is it possible for them to come in and maybe have a home base in the United States? Uh, Yeah. I mean, they might have to do that to stay, to, to stay in the United States, just to play the games, to get the games going. And that puts me into my third thing, which, which Dave uh, kind of, talked about was you know we want to try and push as covid stops we or goes away or whatever we we mitigate it we want to push it to to get more fans so maybe going into 2021 you know we talk about you know growing fans and growing the game maybe we have to grow the game in a different way knowing that we're not we might not get the new fan or the casual fan maybe we need to really push the mlr teams really need to push to get guys back in the u.s like nick savetta like chris wiles so that you do have that diehard rugby fan that will stay with you and and you're sending them the signal in 2021 we want to have a season we want to complete a season knowing that in 2022 we've 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 figured it out we've mitigated the risk and now you can grow and get those casual rugby. Hey, hey so, big guy, do you know something that we don't? I don't know nothing. Don't know nothing. <laughs> I don't, don't know That's nothing a about nothing. New Yorker answer, man. What's the skinny <laughs> man? Come on, tell me. Don't, but, I don't know nothing about nothing. Right. Well, I like that you're – I mean, it sounds like you're suggesting that players who are overseas that, you know, usually are considered U.S. players might find themselves in the position that they could not travel and might not be able to be able to play their rugby overseas as they very well – and, and don't, it, and don't get me wrong. Here. I don't, yeah, absolutely. And the thing is, you have to cherry pick those players because there are players like Huli, Lama Satelli who who cost more, so they can't come and play in the MLR, which is understandable. So those guys are going to play in France. They're going to play uh, uh, in the Prem on the Saracens. So, mm-hmm. but you can cherry pick guys. I think you could talk Chris Wiles and Nick Savetta into coming to America and playing in their quote unquote twilight years. And, and growing the game that way and solidifying the base. Right. So it could be a silver lining for at least fans at home in the U.S. and Canada to be able to see some of the, the homegrown talent abroad return to play here uh, under the, the current restrictions. So, yeah, I Especially like Especially if like they that. both are on the Rooney roster in 2021, which is what I expect. So Yeah. <laughs> Bold prediction. <laughs> All right. So, I mean, as it stands, I mean, I think the top challenges that we've embraced here – is revenue, revenue, revenue. Um, so that goes into putting bums in seats, selling tickets, thinking about the optics. Um, that also lends to a more well-rounded package to be able to sell to sponsors uh, because that's what they want to be able to see. They want to see that festival vibe that David had so rightly pointed out that you know has been made by famous by Sevens uh, and has translated well to an American climate because of that energy that surrounds it. And rugby, if it could bottle just a little bit of that experience, might help them sell a few more tickets. So I definitely recognize the importance of that. Um, is there anything that I'm forgetting uh, apart from the travel, um, which Robert pointed out could be obviously a, a flaw there? And then Scott so uh, rightly pointed out on top of that, that the silver lining might be that that means players who traditionally might play overseas might be forced to be able to find a, a base uh, closer uh, to home. So that worked out even uh, on that. Rob, you look like you have something to add. Uh, I'm just going to say, you know, Karen hit on a point earlier that I think was undersold, and that is, you know, she talked about sponsorships. And that isn't that one of the challenges. And, and again, David, right. you might be able to shed some light on this and that, you know, in a COVID situation, you know, whether it's just a beer sponsor. I know New England has a, a an ale that's made specifically for them. Do some of those some of those local sponsorships kind of dry up because you know they don't have it's not like Budweiser where, where well this is just on the back of the uh, Rugby Australia announcing that unfortunately right. they've lost their partnership with a thirty year long relationship with Qantas. With Qantas yeah. Now it is worth noting, and it depends on how you frame this. Um, you know, when you read the title, it's Rugby Australia basically lost this. It's not their fault. It didn't happen anything like that. That's just the current economic climate that has been forced through the COVID uh, uh, pandemic that they have pulled back on all of their sponsorship with rugby, soccer, and cricket. So it's not just isolated to right. them. So to that point, yes, 
Is it fair to assume that sponsors that traditionally would have been a part of these teams here might very well feel the same pinch? Absolutely. By 2021, will it be harder to find new sponsors as a result? Most likely. Your strategy might be just to be able to keep the relationships you have. Does anybody have anything to be able to add on on that note? Uh, in fact, let's hand it to Karen because you're the one who initially brought that up. Uh, did you have anything you could you you could add to that conversation about sponsorships moving into 2021? No, I was just more concerned with the you know the guys that that that, that do the beer tents and and they right. are local brewers, they're micro brewers, they're small businesses. Um, they provided a lot of the atmosphere uh, because you know there would be that that sort of the Right, that festival vibe that we're talking about. They're all a part of the package about yeah, that yeah. game day experience yeah. that we all love. And, you know, that's something that, that is unique to rugby is those rugby socials, how you have access to the players. And there's another thing, you know, your, your socials aren't going to exist probably in the same way that they had. Right. So that entire rugby experience might very well be changed forevermore as it might very well be for all other sports too. And remember, you know, Ty, we had Mo Katz on last week, right? Remember, Mo talked about one of the things that made D.C. a really great venue to watch a game in because the one side, there was no stands. It was all tents, local breweries, local, you know, business uh, people uh, selling their wares and trying to get people in the local community to invest, uh, you know, their dollars in them. So I I really think that's going to be one of the – the big challenges is Karen's right. I yeah. often wonder, sorry, David, I'll hand the floor to you. You wanted to go. Yeah, I just, I guess, I guess my, my, my view on it is for, for some businesses that would be um, sponsors of, of, of the product we're putting on um, collectively. Uh, times are tough. They're difficult and market budgets tend to be the first things to get slashed. Yeah. I suppose on the second side is that some of these businesses are keen to get going before, you know, the lights go out. And so, there is some opportunity here with things like hospitality and anything rugby related that now, you know, our kit sponsors, our, uh, our clothing, our beers, our burgers, our, um, there, there is opportunity here because we're doing something. We're getting going. So that it's going to take some courage, um, both from us as, as teams, but also from the sponsors. And I think being first out of the gate might buy you some real credit um, uh, as a supplier. Yeah. And there's definitely, I mean, if you are there, you can form a relationship in these times that would be much stronger than any other. I mean, if you have to, together, you can overcome all of the challenges that are set to you. That foundation has to be very strong. And I think that's what can come out of all of this, because at the end of the day, there has to be a silver lining, right? Otherwise, what was it all for? And there are lessons that the MLR is paying attention to when they look at the NBA, when they look at the NFL, those more established uh, sports markets that have already gone back to play. And they have the benefit of from now until March to be able to continue learning lessons. And, you know, while there is no play conditions, it's an incredible amount of time. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again. What an amazing opportunity to be able to form new partnerships, to be able to build your your strategy a little bit wiser, a little bit stronger, because you have this time available to you. So, yeah, at the end of the day, we hope that that certainly recognize the challenges ahead, they acknowledge them, and they will find a way to be able to overcome each and every one of them. Now, ultimately, the MLR will decide what their future is, but I tell you, every single fan of the game, is invested in that future, and they're going to be there to be able to support it is my hope. And that may be just buying a ticket or watching it on TV with your paid subscription, no matter what it is, it's a fair contribution to help grow the game at home here in the U.S. and Canada. I believe all of us would agree. Is that fair? Yep. I I think loyalty is a huge factor. Um, I think, you know, the clubs are going to reach out to their – sorry, that each of the professional clubs is going to reach out to the clubs in their area and say, help us through these times and help our sponsors through these times. And that's going to have a kind of a virtuous circle, which I think is only be, only going to be good for each of the clubs. Right. I'd be interested to be able to see uh, what sort of numbers are being sold on those season tickets, which have already gone on sale, just as a curious point. Uh, because if we were like me, I didn't actually have a season ticket because I'm nowhere near a, a, a game. Um, and I was traveling to Colorado as an announcer then, so I didn't have an interest in buying a season ticket. But somebody like Rob uh, or like uh, Scott and obviously Karen, you guys would have most likely 
had a season ticket, if you had the ability to go to the games. I've heard a lot of fans talking about that loyalty, David, that said, okay, I didn't get to be able to see my home games. You know what? I don't really care about that money. Just move it over to next season. Or if I don't see it again, it's fine because I know it's going to building rugby again and you will be back. And uh, uh, Rob, I see you. You're looking at the merch, you know? My merch. Yeah. yeah. So one of the biggest ways, like immediately, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm not hundred miles away from Nola. Okay. Saving Chicago, get a franchise. Um, you know, I, I'm not going to be buying season tickets. Right. But I'll definitely go to a game in Nola. But when COVID hit, um, I took my ticket and I said, look, can I buy merch with it? Or can I, and I made a donation to Nola's foundation. And so it was a way for me just to give them back something. And, um, I think I bought, bought three or four more items since. So, yeah. um, yeah. You know, fill my rugby shop. <laughs> well, yeah, this was this was a, a thanks to the rugby shop. I really actually appreciated this shirt. I like it quite a lot. Nice Texas colors, kind of rings to the heart of uh, Texas with the Gilgronies on there. All right, all right, all right. That's right. <laughs> Matthew McConaughey actually called me up the other day, and he was asking me if he could, you know, get a get some swag. And I said, well, Yeah, I like that. Uh, talking about swag, though, uh, if you are a Major League Rugby fan, as we so pointed out, one of the easiest things you can do is just buy the merch from the team that you enjoy. You know, go to a game and, you know, do all these things because no matter how small you think your contribution is, collectively, obviously, it makes a difference. Uh, and one of the ways you can do so is with the rugby shop. It recently just opened up their online store for almost all of the Major League Rugby uh, uh, franchises. So, you know, if you are a, uh, a fan of the Free Jacks, absolutely. go in Or and, Toronto. And, you, did you guys plan this, the two of you? Ty, yeah, Aaron? This, oh, man. Jesus, the screen. <laughs> the way. But yeah, it's good stuff. I mean, at the end of the day, if you can just share a little bit of, uh, share a little bit of support in that way and you, you happen to wear the kit and somebody asks you a question about that because they enjoy it, man, you get to open up a conversation about the game you love and help it grow in no matter how small a contribution it is. It's still a contribution. Um, and that's it's a very simple message that if it resonates with everybody, every day 1% better, right? So, guys, I think that we've uh, we've uh, tackled this debate and it's brought some interesting insights uh, from all of you. Uh, who wins that round? I'm not sure, but you know what? Stick around to be able to find out as we move into our next segment to be able to talk about if we had to implement a bubble in this league with MLR, what would that look like? So we're going to take a break. Welcome back, Rugby Rant Podcast fans, to the second part of our episode here where we are talking about Major League Rugby. If they had to implement a COVID bubble, what would it look like? And we, of course, have assembled our team here today and joining the usual suspects of Rob Hammerschmidt and Scott Ferrara. We've got David Barry and Karen Gasparino to join us on this rugby debate. And on this occasion, we hand the floor first to David to tell us what he thinks it might look like. So the floor is yours. Okay, um, I'll emphasize I don't come with any uh, particular intelligence on this matter. And if you want some inside track, you're going to have to get Alex Magleby on and ask him. And so I'm That's only October 21st. We've got to yeah. Thank so, you very much for that plug, David. Yeah, there you go. Um, look, uh, a bubble, I think, if, if it's required, is an unfortunate situation for the, for the league. I mean, you know, it's got to it's got to have a location that's going to be interesting. You know, um, uh, a, a bubble in uh, a bubble in July is going to work perfectly in New England. Um, in uh, in March, it may be uh, New Orleans. Um, bringing uh, bringing teams together in one venue adds a lot of cost. Um, 15s rugby, you can't be playing 15s rugby um, match after match after match the same way you can in sevens. It works beautifully for sevens if you have a, a bubble, but um, it's going to be quite difficult. Mini bubbles around the country might be an option, um, but it's going to be really, really difficult. And combine a bubble with uh, a lack of crowd, a lack of fans. Um, I, I worry about the spectacle that we can provide. At the end of the day, it's really going to be about getting rugby on the field and broadcasting that and using that because it's going to be difficult to provide the fan experience. And I suspect that's going to be done better in many little bubbles. And so, you know, whether you have Toronto, New England, New York playing out uh, a little um, triangular tournament over, a, over an extended period, 
so that we're getting rugby out there to the fans. That might be the way to go about it, but it's uh, it's a real concern. The idea of putting all 13 teams in one bubble venue for how long, you know, it's 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 frightening to think of the you know where that is. It's going to be difficult for many of the teams to get there and then the all, all the support staff, um referees, broadcasting as well. You're talking about a big expense. So I really hope we don't have to go down that route. Right. Expenses, expenses, expenses. And one expensive exercise that has already kind of brought an example of, of, of you know, what, how financial a burden it can be is arguably so the Vegas uh, weekend, right? You, you brought a lot of teams into one place. I mean, really, the concept isn't that different. You brought everybody to a central point, you brought the teams and the staff, and you just so rightly pointed out, David, it's not just the squad, which could be anywhere from, let's say, 30 to 35 players. Uh, it's the support staff, it's the coaches, it's the, uh, the broadcast team, it's the referees. It's, you know, it's a massive task to be able to bring everybody together and an incredible burden uh, and one that might be insurmountable. So, yeah, fantastic point and very relevant. We're going to hand it over to Karen to be able to add to this conversation now. If there was a bubble, uh, it would also imply, along with that, that the border's closed, which has massive implications for my team and all of our supporters. So it would mean that likely uh, Toronto could go to wherever their bubble was located but they'd have to go two weeks ahead of time and self-isolate. So the costs uh, are even higher. And then they'd have to self-isolate once they got home again. So they're, they're away from their families even longer. Um, the expense would be insane. Uh, there would be no support for them whatsoever. Um, if, if there were little bubbles, uh, chances are fairly good that there might be some uh, live spectators, but there wouldn't be any Toronto spectators because the border's closed. So I think that that, that, that just is not a feasible solution at all for the Toronto Arrows. And as such, I asked um, one of my Arrow contacts, and what he said was that it's the last possible option for them, mm. and that the Arrows are confident about the plan that's currently in place, and would push it further before looking at a bubble. So now he didn't elaborate what the plan that's currently in place is, but I know that we'll be hearing about that in the next couple of weeks. But in the meantime, uh, it's to be, I, I mean, to be avoided and literally at all costs, because as you say, Ty, it's not a feasible option. Right. Uh, the burdens already on the back of the burdens of 2020 truncated season is very very difficult. So as you as you said, it would really have to be the last possible option, and everything else would have to be exhausted for the arrows uh, to agree or to be able to join a bubble. Even if it is something that's that's considered reasonable for others, it doesn't mean it's reasonable for for a Canadian team. So yeah, definitely definitely some some unique challenges to them that is not necessarily uh, incurred by the other teams. So, yeah, really excellent point there. Rob, let's see what you got to share. So, first of all, I'm going to say one of the biggest challenges to this, let me start by saying, is the fact that, remember, these guys are not, I mean, not fully, fully, fully paid professional like in the other leagues. I mean, a guy making eight, $10 million in the NFL, they can afford to be away from their families for weeks on end because they can say to their wife, spouse, whatever, look at what this sport has provided us in terms of a lifestyle. These guys, remember, Chris Shade talked about it. I mean, he's lucky enough from work from home, but a lot of these guys aren't. You know, Tim Falcon has talked to us off camera that Cam Dolan has got his real estate license. That's not something you can do when you're in a bubble, okay? So I think that's one of the big troubles. What would it look like if it was able to be accomplished? I think you'd have to have, my idea would be to have two separate bubbles, one on the East Coast, one on the West Coast. Where do you have those bubble located? It has to be a place with low restrictions, easy access uh, to the facilities, probably natural turf because you're looking to play in three games each weekend. So a natural grass would really take a beating. So what cities fit the bill? In the East, you're looking at probably Atlanta at Life University, although you're going to have a lot of kids on campus possibly there, but low restrictions, turf field. NOLA doesn't have a turf field, natural grass, but, you know, Louisiana is pretty, is not really um, making a big deal out of COVID. I mean, just the reality. 
And in the West, you're talking about Houston, Austin, Dallas, you know, all in the state of Texas. Uh, that could be a, any one of those could be used because you're all in the same state or potentially Utah. Okay. You know? Yeah. I mean, I get what you're saying there. But, but you know, I'm say what you can do, remember, because you have two bye weeks, you bring in teams, they stay for their bye week and then the week leading up. And that gives them almost the 14 day waiting period for some states that might require it. Yeah. Uh, so a couple of points to be able to pick at there is, well, to, to draw attention to, not to pick at, but you'd have to be able to pick a place that is, I don't know what the right word is, but is in a has the best condition to be able to host it. And also with that in mind, it obviously, again, comes back down to finances. It has to be reasonable for everybody. You, you'd spoken about perhaps uh, mitigating some of those costs by having two bubbles, one east, one west. So that certainly could help uh, uh, reduce some of those costs. It also reduced the travel implications. You know, there's a lot of great benefits you could discuss just in that area there. So I like that point. Perhaps the one that resonated with me most is that you have to realize to be able to be in a bubble and to commit, even if it does end up being a shorter season, which you would have to recognize they would consider because it would reduce costs. You couldn't plan the full 18-game uh, schedule, or at least I would imagine you wouldn't want to. You'd want to be able to do a shorter version in that bubble, and let's say it's nine weeks, right? 50% of what you had originally planned. Again, who has the ability, if you have that day job, to be able to say, all right, I need nine weeks to disappear from my day job. And, uh, you know, when I come back, I might very well have to take another two weeks because, well, this. Oh, maybe I need to take another two weeks in the front as well. So really, I need to be able to take off the entire season. <laughs> you know, one of the interesting things, though, is think about this. If, for example, they sent kids away off campus and during the summer, you know, a big part of the season we playing during the summer, you could play in a place like Austin. You could make an arrangement, University of Texas, to put the players up in student housing, you know, for some duration of time and probably negotiate a pretty good rate to keep those costs down. Right. Fair enough. We don't want to give uh, uh, you too much more time because I see Scott is already looking at his watch. Uh <laughs> yeah, I'm not really bothered by that. <laughs> so, Scott, tell us what you got. All right, Rob, three words. Let's get hot. So what <laughs> what what hasn't been said here? A bubble won't work for the MLR based on what David, Karen and Rob just said. I agree with all three of them. So now what you have to look at is 2021. If 2021 season starts and we still have the same restrictions we have now, I want I want to give you guys a little insight. So Sunday night football, New England Patriots played uh the Seahawks, Seattle Seahawks. New England Patriots running back James White unfortunately had a death in his family. His father passed away and his mother was seriously wounded in a car accident. So he had options. He he could leave right away, but he can't really leave right away because if he left right away, and went back to Massachusetts on a commercial flight, they won't let him in the hospital. Robert Kraft, the owner of the New England Patriots, said, take my private jet, leave right now. Here's the thing. If he took the private jet, he's breaking the NFL protocol. The NFL protocol says if you come in on the team plane because they're tested every day, and you come back on the team plane because they're tested every day, you don't have to sit the 14-day period in the state of Massachusetts. So he waited for the game to be over. They rushed the flight, the team flight back just for him. And that way he can go to the hospital because technically the way new, the, the New England does it, the way the NFL do it with these everyday tests, he's considered clean. The MLR can't do that. So even, so if, if we're in the same restrictions now, how is it? I, I don't know how these locations are going to move back and forth for home and away games, much less have all this money, all this time, all this energy to do a bubble. It's really scary to me, guys. It, it's scary. And it is. It is a scary scenario because there's so many unknown variables that can change the scenario at the drop of a dime, right? I mean, so as you so rightly pointed out, logistically, it's a nightmare as well. And then, I mean, what are the protocols? How will it be uh, with people's commitments to their to their real life, you know, and, and stuff happens. So, yeah, there are a ton of variables that you have to consider. And with so many of them being unanswered questions, again, you've got to ask, is it worth it? Um, you know, as much as I'm a fan of rugby and I want to continue to see rugby grow and be played at this level in the U.S. and Canada, sometimes you got to question, is it worth it? And it's not a one I want to be able to answer because as a fan, I want to say yes. And I'm glad I'm not in the boardroom who has to make those decisions, right? Because it's a pretty tough one to be able to make. 
And when we talk about some of the costings, I just did a little bit of an exercise because the guys here know that I like to do my research. So here's some of the things that I, 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 I would imagine. So Rob, you had spoken about, okay, you can work deals, you can make arrangements that can work in your favor, lower some of these costs. So let's imagine that does happen. What could that look like, right? So let's just be optimistic and say that, okay, you can travel with a party of 40. That means that you can choose to be able to have 30 guys on your squad and you can have 10 auxiliary staff. You could choose to have 35 guys in your squad because you only need five uh, team members to, to travel with them. Whatever it may be, they set a number. They'll have to identify what is the size of your traveling group. That's the first thing. So let's imagine it, it, it is 40. Let's imagine that that the corporate rate, which is known to be for some of the teams, 129 bucks for an average room. You have two people per room. So you've got 20 rooms you need to be able to purchase there for every day, for every week. So that already comes to about $18,000 per a week on that assumption. So let's say it's a nine-week competition. What if it's an 11-week competition? So again, this comes circles back around to my point about shortening the season. You can find a way. You have to think this is one of the plans. And uh, then you have to be able to imagine, okay, food and accommodation. So I put a number here, and I just threw out a number. Again, there's no real science behind this. It's what a little research that I could do to be able to help me recognize what could it look like. Um, and it's 35000 per week per team just on food and accommodation. So, you know, you count that by the number of weeks that you're expected to be. Um, let's add 20% for a contingency fund for, you know, other stuff that comes up in between that you need to take care of. Uh, you're looking at close to about $400,000 uh, per team on a nine-week cycle. That is, is, is a pretty big burden. And, yeah, is it one that is a worthwhile risk? Uh, Karen, jump in. You have to add to that. Um what sort of training facilities are around for yeah. all the teams? Who's going to, who's going to train where? Um, I, it, what if there was a little bit of an outbreak and uh, you know, what would happen in those conditions? You, you know, are, are they, are you having to add on to your time? What if it's near the end of this tournament style bubble and there's an outbreak and they have to stay another month? Uh, right. you know, who's paying for that? Who's footing the bill? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's terrible. I mean, I factored in a 20% contingency fund, but in truth, it should be far higher. It's just normally they say in normal times, it should be 20%, right? Um, but again, we are in normal times. So yeah, you, you, I mean, what I touched on was only just a small portion of that, just to be able to illustrate some of the burdens, financial burdens that exist. So yeah, I mean, true point. What if something does happen? Yeah. Rob, you wanted to jump yeah, in. You know, it's interesting. The con as Karen talks about that, the contract uh, tracing that's required in many states, right? So the NFL is de dealing with that by putting on a bracelet on all their support staff so that, you know, anytime they come within six feet of somebody else that has a bracelet, they have a recorded contact tracing ability, right? The, the MLR does not have that kind of dough because that kind of GPS system, that kind of, you know, Rob, can I tell you, and, and the fine for not wearing it, it's $50,000 a day. Yeah. That's that's a standard MLO contract, yearly contract in one day. So if a player two days doesn't wear it, it's a hundred grand right there. Just that might be it. a standard MLO contract in New York, but I don't think it's <laughs> anywhere else in the country. And I think it might be breaching some rules. <laughs> David, are you saying that uh, Rooney cheats? Yeah, <laughs> I think you are. Of course not. Um, <laughs> I, I'm not I, saying it, but <laughs> yeah. uh, look, I, I, I think um, if, if we're faced with a situation where um, the only way of putting on rugby is in a bubble, I suppose it, it could be contemplated at that point. But, you know, I think there's some different responses to that. I, I mean, I'm a big fan and encourager of sevens being a part of what the MLR offers. And then you're taking the cost down to 12 or 15 man squads, maybe um, you're, you're, you're able to operate in a much more efficient and you can put on, you know, a sevens team, you know, when you're at rugby town, you play four games maybe in a day um, and you can create that spectacle. And it may be if we're in a terrible situation where we get to March and it's just, we're incapable of having teams moving around the country, playing each other that you go into bubble and run some sevens programs so people get their rugby fix and you do win some fans. And remember, at sevens, the U.S. is awesomely competitive. It's one of the best teams in the world. The fans are used to it. 
they they love it. They understand that we could win some fans that way. That to me is a better solution than trying to love that idea. I, you know, we, we had touched on this subject quite probably uh, quite a few episodes back now. Remind me guys, probably when we were still the MLR rant, but as you so rightly point out, it's, it's, it's a great brand of rugby that people know in the U S it would be a cheaper model to be able to present. It still provides the rugby fan with entertainment that they so rightly deserve. Um, and yeah, you can with, with less people, less money, it, it could be a feasible plan. Um, and you've already got teams that are existing uh, um, uh, sevens programs with Nola, and of course extended to to the new end in Free Jacks through by way of the Rambling Jesters, and and of course your contribution there. Um, but really, any of the teams could field a team and find suitable players. So, what would stop them from using that as an opportunity to be able to launch a, a, a seven series? So, I, I love that idea. I wonder if it's one that's been thrown around in conversation. I mean. Why not? And I guess the next question off of that is, if we're going to be in the same type of state we're in now, I'm assuming the Olympics might not happen again. So now you have all those sevens players who aren't going to do the World Series, aren't going to be in the Olympics. In the middle of this MLR season, we're talking about maybe we do bubble sevens teams. Maybe Perry Baker becomes a Giltini. Who knows? (laughs) I wonder what's going to happen. Watch this space. Look at that. I love the bold predictions from uh, Scott. So Vera, Wiles, and now he's throwing out Perry Baker. Holy yeah, God. We're going to have to uh, stay tuned and Who's see. Was that Karnak? Was that Johnny Carson's character? <laughs> yeah, who are you paying? <laughs> has fielded quite a few sevens players, just saying. I know, exactly, right? I mean, there's talent wherever you go. And and the beauty about Canada, oh, sorry, should I say that uh, Toronto, is that it is the professional option for rugby players. So you could pretty much assemble a team by tomorrow, I think, if you put out the message, right? That's not hard. The talent is, is obviously there. It's just, is that actually being tabled as an option, which is a curious point? Um, now, David, I guess we'll find out October 21st. Advocate for it. Say again, uh, Scott, you want another prediction? I guess, I guess we'll find out October 21st when we speak to Alex Magleby. Right. Maybe very well it could have to be. We're going to have to sidebar and get a few uh, uh, insights from you, David. And uh, even if they're just fun, quirky stories, we enjoy that because they're like, uh, you know, breaking the ice with a funny story about our hosts <laughs> and our guests. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's a great uh, option. I don't see... I mean, I would have loved for it to be a part of the conversation talking about MLR even before this COVID stuff, um, because I think it is a great uh, product and I think Americans do find it entertaining. And I don't discount the fact that that Canadians obviously don't find it uh, entertaining. I mean, just I should actually phrase it as North American rugby fans rather. I see Karen nodding her head in approval, but her <laughs> disapproval. <laughs> I, I don't know whether I don't know. Apologies. You don't want to get on her bad side, Ty. No, definitely not. All of Canada will rain down on me. <laughs> I mean, it might be a polite attack, but it's still going to be interesting. But you know, I got love for for for, for anybody that wants to grow rugby, and there's another area we can grow into. So I think that that's a really valid point, David. Thank you for contributing that. Uh, as we move around the table, I want to get a final thought from each of you, where you sit in regards to this concept of implementing a bubble. Do you think it's feasible? Is it realistic? Um, and give us your final thought. Let's start where, again, we started this round. So, David, the floor is yours. Yeah, I think it's um, it's potentially impractical to, to have a bubble, and it's certainly uh, the cost of doing it um, uh, is probably prohibitive at a time when we're struggling for revenue because it doesn't generate revenue. If we do have a bubble somewhere, um, it's not actually generating revenue, which I think we said in the first part of the show is the biggest challenge facing all of the clubs. Um, if we're really keen to put on some rugby and we can't, um, other than by a bubble, then I definitely will be promoting the sevens route uh, uh, as giving a product for our fans and cutting costs to a level that it is more um, effective, I think. Fantastic. Yeah. Karen? I'm just going to go ahead and put it out there that there can't be a bubble. It's not going to happen. Everything's going to even out. And even if it means that we have to have uh, pods of fans, like David said earlier, you know, family pods around the stadium 
I am going to use my season ticket. I am going to go see my arrows. I'm going to enjoy every minute. And if possible, I am going to join Rob in Disneyola. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. I like it. So, Rob, let's hear what you've got. Uh, yeah, I think that's the bubble is a nuclear option. I mean, it's almost it, it, it's almost to the point where, like David said, if if you have to go that route, it's almost impracticable, and it would be um, significantly problematic and and, and not cost efficient. Um, having said that, I really like David's idea about the sevens. And just for the record, sevens is a far better game than tens. Oh, <laughs> Don't even get me started. You know, where, you know, we let, you know, some fat guys come in, have us after having a smoke and a beverage on the sideline and come in and score a try and then wave their, you know, fanny packs around as they leave the field and leave it. <laughs> and we leave the real athletes to play sevens. So sevens. I like that. Just uh, throwing shade out there. And uh, yeah, okay. I, I appreciate those comments. And that's why we're here is to be able to give everybody the opportunity to share their thoughts. And uh, Rob has definitely shared his. What you got? <laughs> <laughs> so Scott, let's hear uh, from you. Listen, he, I mean, he flops more than LeBron in the finals. It's, <laughs> tens, tens was terrible. Oh no, I didn't say that. I never said that. Meanwhile, we had you on camera recorded saying it. But anyway, Karen's. I appreciate you calling me a champion because that's the class I'm in with. Yeah, okay. Flip flopper. Um, Karen's absolutely right. The bubble's not going to work. Perry Baker is going to be a guillotine in 2021 if we have that series, uh, seven series. Short and sweet. All right. The first time ever. Um, (laughs) So uh, I wasn't expecting that. Well, you know, I think from my point of view, I have a tendency to be able to lean towards the same as that. It would be impractical is the right word. I like that from David. Uh, It just doesn't seem feasible. It seems a burden and a stretch too far. You know, as much as I would be in a very difficult position as a fan uh, to, to acknowledge it, it would probably be a smarter and better move in the long run to just say, okay, 2021 is not going to happen if we actually have to be able to think seriously about building a bubble I just don't think it's actually in the best interest of the league right now, at least financially. Um, and as a fan, I hate to say it, but that's where I lean. So I definitely echo very same thoughts as, as you guys that we, we hope for the best, uh, but at least we know that what the options are. We may not like it, but it's still a thought. And failing all of that, we just all become sevens fans for a season. (laughs) So thank you very much, guys, for all contributing here. Karen, you have been a pleasure to have on board. You have done a great job in representing your nation and, of course, your team. Uh, We love to see that passion from north of the border. And, uh, David, you all the way from the UK, um, probably about 4 a.m. for you right now, so we truly do appreciate you joining us. Uh, Likewise, for Scott and Rob, on behalf of the Rugby Rant team, we do thank you very much with the help of our sponsors at the Rugby Rant, sorry, the Rugby Shop, should I say. But more importantly, (laughs) we have to be able to announce... Who's the winner of this round, right? So I will tell you who it comes down to. In these two rounds, I feel that the title will be taken between Rob and David. All right. So I uh, <laughs> I see uh, a disapproving faces and glares. Uh, and the ref, it's never easy. What to have you been drinking? <laughs> so, um, Man, you know, there's certain moments in these conversations and certain points that have the ability to resonate with me and that do make sense. I think ultimately David had more of those. Uh, so I think it was the point about the seven. And for, and, and for those that are watching, you may know that for me, what becomes important is not only do we talk about these topics, but we offer valid solutions. And I think sevens, could very well be one of those if we ended up in a scenario that we had to look at a bubble. So, yeah, I mean, we all become Sevens fans for a season and obviously hopefully much, much longer than that. So, this is the proudest, proudest moment of my life. This is <laughs> I do enjoy hearing to win, this, to win this great accolade is awesome. It's, yeah, it's good to know that we, you know we hold we hold shade over uh, the Ramblin' Jesters and their national championship. Right. I love to hear that. Get about the titles of uh, of the Ramblin' Jesters. The feather in the cap of being a part owner of an MLR franchise means nothing right now. It's all about the rugby rant. Absolutely. <laughs> 
Karen and uh, and uh, David, I want to give you an opportunity to be able to give a shout out to anybody that might be watching this when it's released, of course, this coming Sunday. Um, Karen, let's start with you. You got any message you want to be able to share with fans back home or family and friends? Uh, no, just that uh, we're appreciating some great support. Um, having started up the, the 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 fan, not zone, the, the fan Roger group. arrows fan group arrows up. <laughs> Uh, yes, I know that. I mean, I'm representing. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, we started it up a few months ago, and uh, we've got some great support, not just from the ownership and, and uh, management of the Toronto Arrows, but MLR itself. Um, and uh, it's been really wonderful to see uh, all of Canada kind of uh, supporting the Arrows, um, which is good. Um, and, you know, there's some discussion about expansion, but... Um, for now, everybody's behind the arrows, so I appreciate everybody being behind us. Thank you very much. A good message. David, you got something to share? Yeah, I, th- I think let me give you a little bit of an international perspective. Um, rugby's struggling a bit around the world. Um, we've had some big cutbacks in the RFU. Australia's had some difficulties. Um, you know, Most of the home nations and the great traditional uh, locations of rugby are struggling. At the same time, there's massive excitement around the world about the MLR. It's got a buzz about it. It's got a momentum to it. It's got real interest to it. Um, the amount of players over here who have approached me and other people about what, what are the opportunities in the MLR, some of the people that are being signed um, by, the, by the groups, absolutely extraordinary talent. And it's seen as an incredible opportunity for this place to grow the sport from an international perspective you always have the u.s perspective but it's pretty exciting from abroad and um i think uh, if we go grab this opportunity as a league it's going to become a serious part of the whole rugby product that uh that is that is uh, around the world yeah fantastic i i love that you know they always talk about America and North American rugby in general being a sleeping giant in the game. So this is definitely one of those uh, points of awakening uh, with the MLR entering its fourth season, which uh, against the odds, right? So it's done a phenomenal job and we'll continue to be able to support it and joining us on the show. You guys have been a phenomenal help in helping to spread that message and we will continue to do so as the team on the Rugby Run. Make sure that you watch us every Wednesday evening for the Run, Pass or Kick live interviews with a Rugby Insider. Following that, each Sunday, we release another episode of our Rugby Debate Show. Of course, you have been watching the Rugby Rant Podcast Show. My name is Ty Braga. On behalf of Rob Hammerschmidt, Scott Ferrara, Karen Gasparino, and David Barry, thank you for watching, and we'll see you at the next one. Bye. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.